You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 183. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Sarah Bladel, who is a number one Danish bestseller and author of the number one international bestselling series featuring Detective Lois Reck. Her books are published in 38 countries and have sold over 3 million copies in Denmark alone. Her latest novel, A Harmless Lie, will be published on March 22nd. I really had a good time uh, talking with uh, Sarah. I really love uh, books set in uh, other countries, uh, police procedural set in other countries, uh, like in Sarah's uh, Denmark. Uh, Joe Nesbo comes to mind, and uh, there's uh, several others out there that I, that I like. So it's a lot of fun to read those. Um, I read A Harmless Lie and enjoyed it a lot. Highly recommend you go check it out. Um, it's out now. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that interview coming up here in a second. Just a quick reminder, please rate and review this uh, podcast and go check out all my links over at uh, thrillingreads.com forward slash links. I put, I put everything up there, one page, so you can go check it out. And I really appreciate your support of this podcast. All right, here is my interview with Sarah Bladel, who is the number one Danish bestseller and author of the number one uh, international best-selling series featuring Detective uh, Louis Reck. Her books are published in 38 countries, and over 3 million copies of Ladle's books have been sold in Denmark alone. Her latest novel, A Harmless Lie, will be published on March 22nd. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Oh, thank you so very much, and thank you for the wonderful introduction. Oh, you're very welcome, and congrats. So today's, today's your, your launch day when we're recording this. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, today is the big, big day. I've been so excited about it. Been looking so much forward. Yeah, and then so so you've been publishing your books have been published in, in Denmark for many years. Uh, is there a lot of differences between there you saying between the U.S. and the Danish markets, or is it all just the same? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's yeah. I've actually all of my books are published in the U.S. market as well, but it's it is so. I mean, it strikes me every time. It's so fascinating that people so far away from Denmark enjoying my books that is set in Denmark and some of them is set outside Denmark in small towns that you will never know about if it wasn't if it wasn't because of Louise Rick so it's it's always very I'm, I'm very flattered that that uh, people uh, like to read books even that it's set in such a small country as Denmark yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I uh, I love reading books set in, in other countries and and kind of reading about you know the police procedurals in in other countries is so fascinating, you know. And my my grandfather actually, my great grandfather immigrated from uh, that German Denmark area there. The the yes, yeah, yeah, yes, Shelwig area. <laughs> yeah, so with, with my last name Peterson, they're always like, "Oh, you must be Danish." <laughs> it's very Danish. It's very Danish. Yes. Yeah, so that's kind of funny. So, I, so I loved reading your book. It was very interesting and a very, very, very awesome uh, uh, thriller. I highly recommend it to the listeners. Um, but can you tell us about your background before you started writing and publishing these uh, crime fiction novels? But I've been I've been working as a journalist for many years. But even before that, I I'm an I'm an educated waiter. So uh, I didn't see myself end up in uh, in in being a writer or in this business at all. But in the beginning of the 90s, yeah, I think it was 93, I founded my own publishing house in Denmark, only publishing crime fiction, but translated crime fiction, American and, and English, oh, yeah, British crime fiction. Um, but the whole idea 
I, I have to say that I'm a huge crime fiction lover. I've been reading crime fiction uh, back, back, way back. And before that, I was reading Mysteries for Children, for example, Einit Blyton, the, the famous five, or Nancy Drew Mysteries. And the whole thing about me and books and crime fiction is, is connected because I, I have dyslexia. Uh, not in a very heavy grade, but but I, I I have dyslexia, so reading has uh, has never been easy for me, and writing was not a favorite thing in school. But but being <laughs> being able to read about children in a mystery was probably the smartest thing my mother ever did, because she she found out that that. Um, my mother f- uh, figured out that if she could get me curious and if she could uh, put me into stories where I was, where there was a motor, the plot is a motor, so I couldn't just skip it. I needed to find out what was going on. I need to find out if why is the light in the lighthouse that that night, what is going on there. So she tricked me a little bit, and I'm very, very grateful for that because when you have, when you're dealing struggling with dyslexia it's very easy to just skip reading but of course in when you're going to school then you probably also remember in in your in in school when when you were pointed out and you were the next to read out loud i hated it i mean it could have killed everything all the joy of books and that it could it could just have put everything down for me so being able to see myself in these mystery books for children was my way in to start loving reading. But the whole idea of mystery and and um, crime fiction was that someone else was writing it. I didn't plan that until uh, until a day where that was the time when I was still working as a journalist. And everything was so stressful. We have a production. I was working on a television show. Had a production. Deadline was coming up. People were uh, madly just running around. And I find out my way to deal or to avoid stress was to create a play, a space in my in my head where I I just start telling myself a story. Very simple. I didn't close my eyes so people couldn't see that that I wasn't listening to what was going on around me. But but. Telling like my when my mother was reading stories for me, I just start telling myself a story, and I think it went on for three or four months because I, be, before I realized that hey, it's actually a book. Your work, you 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 you're coming up with a with a story that has to be put on paper before your head explode. So that was my way into it. I didn't decide to become a writer. It was more like avoiding to to get stressed or to, I was curious. I was so curious about the story. So I had to continue. Was that the, was that book published? That first one that you worked on or yeah. Yeah. That was, that is, that's actually the first Louise Rick novel. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, I mean, the story and Louise Rick found me and I, I, I didn't even see it coming until three or four, maybe five months into it. And, and and the thing about being dyslexia, uh, having dyslexia, it it's not. I mean, it's not like an, a handicap for me, so I cannot write. I can write, but 
but it's not, I mean, I'm, it's not every word that I spell totally correct every time, but it's not like it's not possible for me to write because it is. I just have to deal with it taking a, maybe a little more. Yeah, I need a good editor. Let me just say it like that. <laughs> to deal. So now, so do you? What do you use to write your books? Is it like do you use like Word or is it something else? I, I I use Word, and I'm so. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it probably it could be much more sophisticated or smarter. I I could use a writer's program. There is one called Scrivener. I'm just writing my books in in words. Your tenth book in the in the series. Um, difference between writing the first one now writing the tenth one, and and how has it been seeing her your characters grow over the over the years? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that process? It was interesting because when I was working on my first novel, I did not see it as the first book in a series. I was just happy to see that I could create a story and I could put it on paper and I could go from A to B. I could solve it. I could finish it. And I could have it published. So it was, I mean, now so many years later and so many books later, it could be smart or clever to say, oh, I knew from the beginning then this and that would happen to my character. But the truth is that I didn't know that because I didn't know that I was going to write more about her. So my first, my first book was probably very much just a jump into something I didn't know what was what was now I'm very much more aware that it's it's important for me to have a background story for all the characters in the book because it makes it easier to drag in during the story I mean if you create something interesting in people's background or give them something interesting that you can uh, lift up and put in the story later it will help you a lot I did not know that to begin with and I've been much more aware that the more specific I am when I created my characters, not, I mean, it's not like I want to put everything, every detail about every character into the book, but for me, it's extremely helpful that I create the character's background for myself before I start writing it. And I give them some skills or I give them a way to talk or I give them personal, I give them personality. Because when I put them in the situation and when I start writing, it makes it very easy to see how they will react in specific situations. I did not know that to begin with. So it's really worth for me to spend time building up the characters. And also, I, I, I spend a lot of time doing my research. And that is uh, not just like a show-off thing it's not just to show you and my readers that I'm able to to research and I'm good at research researching it's because I want to blur the line between fiction and fact I want to show my readers that I'm on top of my game when it comes to police work and when it comes to forensic details and I know what I'm talking about when it comes to all the facts about investigating because I that is my thing that is what I do and it's and here it comes it's 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 very much to cheat my readers because I want them to forget what is fiction and what is real work I want them to think and I, I want them not to think that much about it um I want them 
to be in the position where they just trust me, where they where they know that I'm I know what I'm writing about. And probably if this is right, probably the other thing is also right. It's not right. It's just my imagination and my fences. Yeah. So that is the way I use um, I use my my research. I would imagine that your background as a journalist probably helped you with that because you trained how to interview people and get information from people for you. So that must be very useful for when you're writing your books. Exactly. It exactly. And and to begin with, and this is the, this is the truth. To begin with, that was the only thing I could do. I mean, because I knew how to research. I knew I wasn't afraid of making a phone call and ask people uh, because that was my daily job. So I was very much into if I can do the research, then I'm good because then this will work. And the fiction for the first time, I've never been writing. When I start this, I've never been writing fiction before. I mean, it was so new to me. So I didn't know how to deal with it because I've been working as a journalist where I try very hard to stick strictly to what people were telling me, not mm. to come up with things. <laughs> so so when I when I had to teach myself that it should happen in my head and not because people told me it was it was it was very weird to be totally honest it was weird and it took off sometimes um i created when i started creating louise rick i saw her as this is a cliche a kind of a cliche but i saw her as a strong female character that know exactly what you want and everything she was just super cool um a tough cookie you could say but when i start writing on my first Louis Rick novel, I was two or three pages in the story when she had a nervous breakdown. I did not see that coming. I really, I didn't see it coming because I didn't plan. It was, she was in her kitchen after the whole night being out on the field investigating. A young woman was found murdered and she'd been out all night and she was just having a cup of tea in her kitchen the next morning before she was going to briefing at the police station. And in that situation, she had a flashback to the first time she was in the position where she had to go to a young woman and tell her that her boyfriend was killed on the street. And when she stood there in front of this young woman, all the feelings was floating into her. I mean, the situation was so cruel and she couldn't bear it. And that was all the feelings that I had when I was writing it. I couldn't bear to stand in front of that young woman telling her what had happened. And I was when I when I was finished writing the scene, and I don't know where it came from. I was just like, "Oh no, you've just started a novel with a super cool protagonist, and you give her a breakdown on page three. Bravo, Sarah." <laughs> <laughs> That was my that was my first meeting with fiction where your head is taking over. So you must write you must write like uh, what do you call it discovery writing? You don't have like a big outline. You kind of just uh, start writing. I actually I have an outline now because otherwise it would take <laughs> me in tons of different <laughs> different directions. But I didn't outline until my book number seven. Oh okay. Yeah, oh. I did not, and now I have a. Very uh, enormously pleasure uh, doing my outlines because I think it's so fun to create the puzzle. But I was afraid uh, to, to be, uh, I was afraid to begin with because 
when you outline, I mean, then it's very obvious that you know what's going to happen because you have put it on paper, you have put it on your table, you can look at it all the time. And maybe that could kill some of the creating creative things that could happen in the story. So I was a little bit afraid of that. It wasn't a good idea. But my experience is, tells me now that if I do my research and I outline my book, then I have so much more space in my head to be creative because I know I can go from A to B. I know I can finish it. So it's like it gives me more energy to put on the, 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 the all the things that just is from my head. It, it brings it much more to, to life, I think. And so can you tell us a little bit about the about a harmless lie? Uh, like what, what inspired it? Where do you got the idea for it? And what's the story about? A harmless lie uh, is very is is the first time I bring Louise Rick into a story as a private person. It's the first time where she is not working, where she's not in charge of the investigation, and it's uh, it's also the first time where she has a lot to lose because she is uh, personally involved. And the idea to the story came. Uh, because of an earlier book I've been written uh, as the stolen angel and it's it, it uh, in that book there is a character called Mona and Mona is a very sensitive woman and I was so curious when I was writing that previous book because Mona just showed up I mean I didn't plan her I didn't create her I didn't it didn't feel like I created her and I could I could feel um, that the sensitive part of her uh, must be something that have happened earlier in her life because she reacts very strong when people are disappearing, when something, to, when when these kind of stories showed up in the news or she sees it on television, a person went missing or yeah, these these kind of things. And then I was after I finished the book, that is, she's just a very small part of that book, but I couldn't let her go. I, it's, it, it, it does not happen very often that I have to stick with a, with a, a character. And I knew that it was just for my own sake. It, it was not because I wanted to tell her story, not at that time, but I, I contacted a, a woman who is uh, in charge of uh, uh, a mental hospital here um, outside Copenhagen and asked her if early traumas could could start up something that uh, that will stay for you in the rest of the rest of your life and of course I knew that it can it can in in cruel ways be of course ruining people's life but with Mona it was different because she only reacted when people disappeared. And she said, oh, yes, if something happened when she was a child or a young, uh, a, a teenager, then it can stay with her forever. And I, I asked her if it was if it was common that Mona then could show up at the hospital and say something is very weird and I'm something bad is, is happening. And then she looked at me again and said, yes, it happens very often. And then sometimes we, we just sit down and have a cup of tea with them or some, a little bite to eat. Or sometimes they will, they will stay with us for a while. So I felt that there was a ground under Mona's feet that, that um, was very solid. I didn't just create a weird 
character, she something have happened. And then I dig into what it could be. And in Denmark, it is very common that we went on school trips when we are around 13 uh, with the whole school class. And then we went away, go away for a week. And I wanted that that was the, the story around Mona. They they went, she went with her school to, on a school trip to Bonholm. And one of the girls from the class uh, went missing. She didn't. And they they didn't even find the bodies. They didn't know what happened, and that's been that have had a huge impact on Mona's life, and also later on on other uh, four other girls from from the same school class. I wanted that to be a part of the story when when I had the idea of a harmless lie because I wanted to know what went went on at that time when she disappeared. A harmless lie is also a story about Louise's brother, Mikkel, and her sister-in-law, Trine. Trine went to the same school class as Mona back then. She went on the same uh, school trip. And now, uh, so many years later, when they have found Susan's body on Bonholm, Susan was the girl that went missing at that time, uh, these girls from from Susan's class start uh, um, went missing one by one, and that could be a very <laughs> common story for me to write about Louise Brick. But the the thing that is not common here is that Louise is not investigating it. She is in the middle of the story. As a private person, also like more of a from her childhood, so like more of a like a, yeah, like a background, not as an investigator, but as a private person. Exactly, yeah, she's involved, and and she had to for, for other reasons. Then she had to find out what happened back then uh, to to now uh, find out why is Trine missing. Trine is is her sister in law, and I think. Writing a whole series now, this is book number 10. And for me, it is a new beginning for Louise Rick. I mean, she will be investigating in, in the in, in the books that comes after this one, as she will be back <laughs> at the police, in the police uh, station. She will be back working again. But for me, it was important also to try, I mean, important for me, maybe not for other, but, but for me, it was important to see her as also just a human being, being on the other side of the table where she was related to to the people who were in the case. Yeah, because I thought, like that in, the, in the book, it, it opens up where she's uh, uh, kind of like taking some personal time. She's like been traveling. She's in Thailand. So, yeah, it starts like very... Uh, different from like uh, when she's actually working as a as a police officer as an investigator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and she's not uh, she's not very keen to come home, but something is happening, mm-hmm. and she has to come. So I'm kind of curious too now because uh, on the writing side of it, uh, for listeners who who are aspiring writers that are listening to this podcast, I would like to ask these questions. Uh, so, what's a, a writing day look like for you? Do you like have set hours? Do you have word count goals? I wish that I was one of these exotic flamboyant writers that was sitting in the nighttime with a big head and a glass of red wine, smoking cigarettes and writing like hell, but I'm not. I'm <laughs> I'm so boring and traditional. So my day 
in this writing period will start around yeah, I'm waking up at seven or eight and then my I go for a long walk and then I sit uh, down with my computer from 10 from 10 a.m and uh, and then I I'm not doing anything else I'm not doing my laundry I'm not checking the news I'm trying not to be too too much on so social media I'm trying to stick into the bubble I'm trying to be in my bubble it's not I'm not succeeding every time but I'm really I'm really trying not to be too distractive about any, if, anything else because the whole thing for me is the writing part is the fun part and I very often got questions from people who like to become writers or for upcoming writers, say, What's, what is it? How can I make sure that this will be a bestseller? I was like, don't write the book because you can never be sure. Write the book because you enjoy sitting there with blank paper and all the opportunities to fill it out. And also at the same time, that is the part of that I hated most because yeah. – Oh my gosh, it's a long way when you start up on blank paper, page number two, and have to write 300 more. So so for me, a writing day is to try to make it very comfortable and try not to be stressed about that I have to write. But I sit there also the days that I'm not very inspired or uh, uh, inspired. Also days where I maybe only write one page. I'm just keeping my, yeah, I'm just sitting here. Something will come out of it. Something will happen. At some point, something will happen. And other other days, I mean, I've been writing then 10 pages without even knowing it. I'm just so into it and I'm so curious and it takes me and I say, wow, yes. But I mean, I don't mind having these days are very productive and other days that is not productive because in these these days that it's not seems to be very productive, then I'm thinking and feeling and remember things and compare things. Uh, I mean, I, I just uh, I had a situation a couple of days ago. I was sitting and had one of these days where nothing was happening in my head. Nothing. It was just totally switched off. But still something happened because I remember one thing, uh, a situation I, I remember as a child and I could put this into the story here and I could use it. And at the end of the day, it makes totally sense. That was exactly the bridge from going from point A to B that I that I was looking for, but it wouldn't have come to me if I was just rushing uh, on with the story. So, so it's not bad to have a day where not not that looks like not much is happening. Exactly, exactly, and also sometimes it's the small things that will be the strongest uh, scenes or uh, yeah chapters going very fast. Uh, high speed you have to when it's really creepy you have to spread it out and use a lot of time writing it but if it's a car hunt then just get over with it i mean it's it's like also the tempi in the story some things just need time 
Yeah, that's good advice because yeah, you never know when the breakthrough is going to come. So no need to wor- worry about it, to stress yourself out over. It. <laughs> and what's the uh, what's the crime fiction thriller market in Denmark like? Is it like American uh, authors also popular uh, over there? Or is it mostly local uh, writers or European? Finally, finally, we have a very strong Scandinavian market also. But but in back in the time, it was it was American authors and British authors. But still, there is a lot of. I mean, Michael Connolly is very popular. Karen Slaughter is extremely popular, and Lee Chai. No, there is a bunch of. Uh, there's a bunch of American authors that is very popular here. And and the, they also come visiting us because we have a very strong crime fiction reading community. So we have a lot of great crime fiction readers. Um, they're very passionate about crime fiction here. They like it, so it's extremely popular. I've been really enjoying those uh, those books from uh, from from the from that part of the world and like the TV shows too. There's uh, they're starting to show uh, Scandinavian uh, uh, crime shows on uh, Netflix. <laughs> I've been watching a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. So they're pretty good. So yeah. So we've, we've been enjoying that. That's good. That that is how we spread the word and grab all all readers into us. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah, you watch like a, I watch the show and I'm like, oh, that's really good. Then I start. Then you then you find out it was based on a book, and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but are you? Do you find it annoying that the places and names can can seems to be strange? No, I, I like it. I actually like that. It's, it's interesting to me. Uh, so uh, I, I enjoy that part. Um, and so uh, it's like being, it's like traveling. So it's kind of like discovering new, new, new things. Um, so yeah, no, I enjoy that part. <laughs> yeah, that's good because sometimes you have to think about if it is it, is it uh, taking down the speed in the story that people, that foreign uh, readers have to, I mean, remember these strange or weird names and <laughs> Places, but at the same time, that is the reason that you have to read, for example, a Danish or a Swedish or a Norwegian crime novel, that it is different. Mm-hmm. It is or the feeling also, I think. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I, I think the first big, big uh, author from over there that I got into was the Joe Nesbo, and then that kind of yeah. opened up to others, you know. But yeah, it's it's you know, kind of interesting. Um, and so what, the, do you start writing, like when you finish the first, the a harmless lie, do you give yourself a break or do you start right away working on the next, on the on number 11? <laughs> but, but what happened actually was that when I finished a, a harmless lie, um, I had in my head created the P13, that special task force that, uh, Louis Rick should be, um, in, in charge of. And I was so curious to bring her out with that task force. I was so curious and excited to create a new way for her to to be able to investigate all over Denmark. Uh, and so, so the story, so the idea for the next story uh, turns up very no, even before I finished uh, a harmless lie, and I felt that it was like a totally new energy for me. Um, because it's from a harmless lie, uh, it's kind of a Louis Rick volume two. I mean, it's a, it's a new beginning for her and for me because I had a break for four, five, five, almost five years. I have not spent my time with her, so it's a, it was so nice not just to have her back and me back on the same track, but but to have stories that I really want to dig into, stories that I'm curious to tell, 
that is the energy of a writer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you can live through those uh, through all that. It's like it's your life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so no more stories are coming up. All right. With Rick and the P thirteen task force. <laughs> All right, Sarah. Well, uh, Harmless uh, Lie, uh, by the time people are listening to this uh, podcast, it'll be out. So uh, go check it out. It's, on, it's everywhere, Amazon, everywhere, wherever you buy your books, you'll find it. Um, where can listeners uh, learn more about you? Like, do you have like a website or social media? Or I have a website and they can find me on Instagram on, and Twitter. I also have a Facebook, but uh, but it's mostly in Danish. So probably it will be a little bit boring, but Instagram, find me there and I will be so happy to answer questions and I'm very easy to connect with also on Twitter. And my name is just at Sarah Blado. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there